Well, good to be with you this morning. Hope you're having a good uh, and enjoyable weekend so far. Man, I, my grass has enjoyed the, the rain lately. That's been exciting for me. I love my grass and I like taking care of it. In some reason, when the, when the Lord provides rain, I celebrate. You know, there's those rain dances and stuff. I've, I've maybe, may or may not have on the ring footage at our house, seen me dancing in the rain a little bit. Um, but it's been good. Man, July, normally it's a drought. And so, uh, so thankful uh, for you to, to be here as well and to come on a, on a Sunday. Also thankful for a little bit of the cool just for a couple days too. But um, how many, I'm going to ask you this question. This might be like zero people because of the audience or whatever. But how many of you ever went to camp? It doesn't have to be Christian camp. You, you've been on a bus and you rode to camp. I mean, that's a good number. Okay, good number of you. So, uh, so for me, I have been to camps many, many times. I was a high school and middle school pastor for about almost 15 years. And so I've been to a lot of camps. And I had the privilege of riding on a bus with a bunch of middle schoolers. If you've ever had the privilege of riding on a bus with middle schoolers, you know how much fun this can be. Uh, only the brave do this. Um, but if you've ever, if you remember, you know what I'm talking about, right? You're riding on this bus. And what do middle schoolers, maybe you were this way or teenage, I mean, it was even the high schoolers somehow. I was like, why are you, you, I thought you were becoming an adult, high schoolers. Why are we still acting like children on this bus ride? But how many of you had some songs? You had your like songs that, your chant songs that you were singing, like the baby shark song or something along the ride to your camp destination, um, right before I moved here, uh, and as we were beginning the process of planting Redeemer Community Church, um, I got to go one last time, had the privilege, one last time, last, about a year ago right now, I think, is actually, I would have been riding a bus or about to ride a bus up to the mountains of North Carolina uh, with a bunch of middle schoolers. I was a high school pastor at, the point, at that point, and I'm like, thankfully I don't have to ride with the middle schoolers, but we were without a middle school pastor at the time. And sure enough, I was, had the great privilege of going on another trip with middle schoolers. And I could not, I had my boys with me. I brought Colson and Levi with me as well. And it was funny watching them. They were probably feeding off of me a little bit, but it was like they were so annoyed. They, they started singing, I mean, they're middle schoolers. They started singing Little Einsteins. You know that song, right? I'm not going to sing it. I don't want to put it in your head. But uh, it's probably already now in your head. Sorry. But if you know it. And all of a sudden, they're singing, they're going on a trip, you know, and they're all this stuff. And I'm like, what are we doing? <laughs> I don't understand why we're singing these silly songs on our bus ride because it seems to pass the time. But as adults, you know, we get, we get older and we have like our road trip playlist, right? You know, you've got like, all right, I'm going to be on a, I'm gonna be a road this long. Let me put together a nice little playlist for the family. We're going to go on this road trip. And so we like, because we like passing time with music. It's better than hearing our children constantly tell us, when are we going to be there? And you're like, when this song is not over, and another, when the playlist is over or something, right? You know, that's what we kind of do in our, in our car, except now it's videos. And you're like, just the, the movie, we'll be halfway there once this movie ends, and then we'll start another movie, all right? And then we'll be there, maybe. So, but, uh, but if you know, like, we have these road trip playlists. We like to listen to music to kind of pass the time. Well, what I want us to do over the next several weeks, about nine weeks, we're not going to look at every single one of these, but if you have a Bible, we're going to be in the book of Psalms over the next uh, several, uh, several weeks, and we're going to specifically look at a section of Scripture called the Song of Ascents. And these were pilgrim songs. These were songs that the, the people of God who would come on their pilgrimage, they would come for their annual feast to Jerusalem. So they would travel maybe 90 miles, maybe even 100 miles. Jesus, for instance, would have gone about 90 miles while he was on earth to Jerusalem, there and back, doing, uh, observing these annual feasts. And so these psalms were sung as the people of God, as God's chosen people would 
journey towards Jerusalem for these feasts, and they would sing these songs. This had become like their playlist as they would go up to Jerusalem. And these songs are unique. And so there's, there's Psalm 120 is where it starts, and it goes through Psalm 134 in your Bible. And we're going to look at Psalm 121 today. Um, so will you just bow with me in prayer before we uh, read God's Word and look at this passage uh, together? Father, we love you. We thank you for another day of life. We thank you for your provision. Uh, God, your provision with the rain. Uh, you have uh, blessed us with rain this summer, and we, we thank you so much for that. God, we are thankful and we recognize, God, you are the one who is our provider. Um, you are the sustainer. As we looked in our series in the book of Colossians, you sustain us, you comfort us, you help us. Uh, you're the giver of all life. You're the creator of this world. And so without you, we are nothing. And so we thank you for this. We thank you for your word. We thank you for this section of Psalms that we're going to look at over the next few weeks. Um, and I pray that we would look at it and it would change us, maybe shape us a little bit, maybe get more theology into our hearts as we sing these kind of songs into our hearts, t teaching ourselves and helping one another uh, look at God's word. So help us, God, in all this we ask in your son's name. Amen. All right, so let's look at uh, this passage. So it's Psalm 121. Uh, you, if you can look at it on your phone or if you have a Bible in front of you, I would encourage you to read with me uh, God's Word. So this is Psalm 121. Uh, the psalmist, it's a song of ascent, as you see in the, the prescription there. He says this, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Verse 3, he will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The, the sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. Verse 8, the Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. The psalmist is just a short psalm, uh, eight verses. And as you notice, as you may pick up as you read the psalms, you'll see there's uh, these different sections, and it kind of usually has good outlines as you read them uh, in different sections. And we're going to look at this just really briefly, but I, I want you to just recognize and think about this. I mean, imagine the pilgrim is journeying up Towards And so the picture is this, it was up towards, most, almost all directions towards, if you've ever been to Jerusalem or uh, visited Israel, you see this, the mountains and different ones. I mean, it's not the largest mountain, Mount Zion isn't the largest mountain in the area, but the picture was people would be going up towards Jerusalem, kind of from all around the surrounding areas. And as they would go on their journey and as they journey on, they were singing these songs to themselves, singing truth into, our, into their hearts as they were on their journey. And the idea of the idea of these song of ascents is that as they're ascending to Jerusalem, they're singing these songs. But did you notice just in verse 1 that these pilgrims, they're on a journey, and as they headed into the hills, I mean, imagine like at this day and age, imagine you're on a journey, you're not in the safety and security of your car and your vehicle and you're driving through an area. I remember um, back in in college, Amanda was meeting me at, I think, a wedding uh, in Miami, and y'all might, might remember this, but uh, she was driving to this area, and it's in an area of Miami, um, 
uh, I cannot remember the area, Hialeah, I think. And in that area, it's not a great part of town. And she's by herself, and she's like almost out of gas. You might even know this story. So uh, now here's the first time. So sorry. But, uh, but she was terri- terrified of what was like this area, worried that she's going to run out of gas. Like, what am I going to do? I don't know where I am. She's getting, I mean, she's just completely freaking out because it's, it's at dark, it's nighttime, and she's concerned. I mean, imagine as you're a pilgrim and you're on a journey, maybe you have a traveling party with you, you have your family with you, extended family, maybe some friends from the community, but you're going along the roads and you're heading, and you're heading into mountainous terrain. This is exactly where like your bandits and different ones who would try to steal and harm and take away from you would be hiding. But also, the hills also were a picture of where the, 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 the gods had their high places, the Asherah, uh, Baal, and the worshipers, they would have their sacrifice and everything like that. And so they're heading kind of, in their mindset, into a little bit of a, a very enemy territory, if you will. And there's concern, there's fear. And then notice what the question that the, the, the writer asks in verse 1. He says, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? He's saying, where is my help going to come from? I'm heading into the hills. I, my eyes are lifted up. There's a few different ways to interpret that for sure. Like, am I, is he looking up just up to God and it's natural, up to Zion? And is God, the dwelling place of God, in a sense, there? So yes, that could be the way we take it. But as this person looks, they ask this question. Where does my help come from? This person recognizes, this writer recognizes that they need help. I think we live in a culture that says we're pretty independent. Like, I don't, I don't really need help. I got this. This is a phrase that my daughter right now, she is ultra, uber, um, self-reliant. It's like, here, let me get you this. I got this, Daddy. I got it, Daddy. I got it, Daddy. Over and over in our house. And if anybody has interacted with her, it's like, you want to go help. She wants to help at first, and then it's like, I'm like, she wants water, and so she asked me to get water, so I start to go get water, and she comes running down the steps to help me with it. I'm like, I got this. I'll bring you water. Just stay there. You're probably going to spill it anyway. I'm going to have to clean it up. You're not going to help in that area. I'm going to have to do that, right? Um, but, but here, this idea, this is ingrained in our culture, a culture of, that says, I've got this. And I, and I believe, and I don't know if you have, a, I didn't give you notes this week, sorry about that, but um, but. Here's one point I want to mention on this, because I think this is important for us, is we tend to, have you ever been asked, how are you doing? What's the typical response by most people? I'm good. I'm okay. Doing fine, right? Everything's great. (laughs) Even though internally, maybe there is something going on. There is all this stuff, this baggage that you bring, and you're like, man, I'm, I'm not good, but I'm good in front of you. That is our culture, and that is, that is me, and that's probably a lot of us in this room. We tend to be this way. And here's, what I, here's one of the things that if you have a pen, you have a way to write this down, I would encourage you to write this down. We tend to publicly celebrate our accomplishments, our, our, like the good things in our life, right? Like something good's happened in your life. We tend to publicly celebrate those, but then we hide our struggles. We tend to hide are personal, we keep that personal, but we make other things public, right? Like, I mean, for instance, you know, we're good at letting people know our wins, you know? I had a great day closing that deal yesterday. It was awesome. It was a great, it was a great week. I mean, I, I nailed it with this client or maybe, or, you know, I was able to exceed my projections, you know, by 100% this past month. And we want to let people know those things. Or maybe you're like, hey, look at my kids. I mean, you're posting on social media, like, man, my kids are awesome. Look what they did, right? Like, man, my kid got straight A's this year. We celebrate those publicly, 
but yet when it comes to our struggles, we don't share. We don't let people in. We hold it in, and we're like, I got this. Here the psalmist in this psalm is saying, I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where is my help going to come from? And he says it in verse 2. My help comes from the Lord, the maker who made heaven and earth. He recognizes that his help has come from God. His help can and will come from God. But here's something I want you to notice about this, um, this, this psalm as well. So if you notice in the first two verses, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. It's in the very first person. He says, I, my. But notice from three on, it's this. He says, it, it changes the person, the voice changes. He says, he will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. And so it's two people. It's a two-way conversation. The person saying, where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord. And then the response from the people, it's like as if a responsive reading. And this is how, it's, how it was sung even in this way. And then the people would respond, he who will not let your foot be moved, he's the one who will keep you. He's the one who will take care of you. He is your shade. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil, verse 7. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in. And obviously, you see the big theme of this psalm is the Lord keeps you. He's your guardian. He's your protector. But notice, I want you to see this, though, how involved the people of God are in helping the psalmist hear the truth that's there, right? I mean, how many of us have known something to be true, but we've had a hard time really letting it sink in and really believing it? Like, you're like, all right, I know this about God, but I don't know because of my life experience. I, I, I hear what you're saying that God is a keeper, but I, I have not personally maybe experienced it that way. Notice how many times the psalmist in the, in the gr- collective group of the people, because here's what I want to point out, is this, if you remember back in, our, in, our, in the book of Colossians, there was that section uh, where we got to hear how, in, in chapter 3, how the church, they use theology and they sing the theology. They sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, making melody in their hearts to the Lord. And they do this, but they're speaking, they're communicating truth to the crowd. So think about this. When we sing, it's not just so we can listen to Blake and a, another person or a couple people up here lead worship and we can watch and we can be like, man, that's, that's good. No, we sing these, these things together congregationally. But here's what we're doing in that. We're communicating truth to one another because maybe for some of you, you're like, yeah, the Lord is my salvation. You know, like, but I haven't experienced that. Like, I haven't experienced him to come through for me. And, but some of you have, and you're singing this from your heart, and you're saying, the Lord has been good to me. He's been gracious to me. He's been kind. I've seen when even in the trial, he, he was there for me, and you're singing it with all of your heart, maybe with your hands raised, maybe through your heart, maybe with, your, with tears running down your face, and the person next to you is going like, but I don't, I don't experience that. But guess what you're able to do? You're able to communicate that truth in a way that help them as well. And here, this psalm is like that. It's a responsive psalm. Saying, where's my help come from? And the audience is like, it's coming from the Lord, who is the one who's going to keep you. He's holding you together. He's everything for you. He's your protector. He's your guardian. But here's the thing. As this, this psalm goes, I mean, I, for instance, 
How many of you, uh, I had the, res- the, great res- uh, the great privilege of owning a few fish back in the day. Um, we and our family had fish uh, there for a bit before we have had a dog. Thankfully, the dog's still alive. It's good. Fish, not so much. So uh, It was like, I could not, we would go to the pet store. We'd hear, they'd tell us all we're supposed to do. You're like, you know, you got to use certain water. You got to clean it. You got to do all this stuff, you know. Don't kill the fish. And we're like, all right, we got this. I mean, a lot of other people have fish, so we could do this too. We get the tank, get all this stuff. The kids name their fish stuff, and then, and then little animals. It's like, it's not a lion, it's a fish, but you can name it something else. But anyways, they name it lion, and, uh, and this lion lasts maybe a week. I don't know. They just kept dying, and it was like, we go to the pet store, <laughs> maybe get a couple more. I'm like, eventually these, these pet stores are going to be like, you're not welcome here. Like, you keep killing fish. Why are you asking for more? Kind of thing. Like, like for us, like, we couldn't, it's just like, you know, so if you're, like, if you're going on vacation, you're like, hey, can you come watch our fish? Don't call us. <laughs> Anybody else in here, just don't call us. I don't know what it is, something about it. I'm not sure. Maybe overfeed, underfeed, I don't know. But for whatever reason, we couldn't keep fish alive. Thankfully, you know, with children, they're still safe in our house. Thankfully, Lord, the Lord has blessed us with that. But like the idea of this idea of keeping is, is it's ultimately in the person who's responsible. Um, I, I love this story of Alexander the Great. A person asked Alexander the Great how he was able to sleep so well at night while surrounded constantly by such danger. You know, like, I mean, he's conquering worlds, but he's also arch enemy number one, right? For most countries, they're like, all right, someone's got someone's to sneak in his tent and kill this guy. They gotta, they've gotta, we've got to stop this man. And so and, and the, it's like, how is he able to sleep so well at night? You know, if everyone's after you, how can you sleep so well at night? And his response was interesting. He said, he, said, he just said a name, and he said, Parmenio. And this was his faithful guard was keeping watch. And think about the kind of protection and provision the maker of heaven and earth can provide for you. Parmenio is going to go to sleep. Eventually, he's going to lapse in his judgment for a moment. And all of a sudden he gets tricked and someone else is able to sneak in at night. But here, look at the psalm, what it says here. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. I mean, he is the creator God. This is the one where my help comes from. Notice what he says. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The psalmist is saying, God never sleeps. God never, but here's the thing though, like that might be like not news to you. You're like, oh, that makes sense. God doesn't sleep. Well, in ancient Near Eastern theology and their belief in their gods and their many gods, they believe they slept. They believe like some, and there's different stories about how the humans were trying to rouse their God for, to, from their sleep. They're like, when they're in battle and they're losing in battle, they're like, someone go like, wake up our God. He's, got, he's, got, he's not got our back right now. We need to wake him up. He maybe is asleep. And so they would try to do different things and do these different celebrations and stuff and and even harm themselves to try to get their God to pay attention to them to respond. Here the psalmist says, your helper, God, the maker of heaven and earth, he never slumbers. He doesn't even doze off. He doesn't like, oh, I was distracted. No, he's full focus. He pays attention and he notices and nothing goes beyond him. And so, you know what? You, You may fall asleep you know, the, the greatest of uh, protection that you can put on your house, your ring cameras, all those things may fail. The internet connection goes down, whatever. It's too blurry. I don't know. God never sleeps. And he says this promise is this, is that he who keeps you will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will, nev- 
will neither slumber nor sleep. But here's the question. I think here's the question, I think, in this passage, and I think it's important for us. It's because it, it's telling us like he's our protector, right? He's a guardian. He's a protector. He'll be there for me. He's going to be there on my side. He says he's on, you know, he's going to protect me from the sun and, the, and the, the moon. He's your shade on your right hand. Again, that was a picture in army that they would hold their shield on their left arm. And so it'd be nice to have a person to your right protecting your right side as well. You'd have your shield in this hand, and it would be good to have another person here. And he who keeps you will be the shade on your right hand. He's going to be with you. He's going to be on your side. But you might be saying, well, that's great. I hear you, but it doesn't, I haven't experienced that personally. I've actually experienced the opposite. I've experienced hardship, and I've experienced pain and suffering, and I just feel like I'm constantly at odds with the world itself, it seems like. God doesn't seem like he's keeping anything. If anything, he's not paying attention to me. Let me ask you, have you ever, have you ever found yourself misunderstanding lyrics to a song? You know, you're like, you thought the words were one. <laughs> You've been singing it all these, <laughs> all these years, and then someone's like, bro, have you paid attention to the words of that song? That's not it. Or like you thought it meant something and you're like, your parents, like you were a child and you hear this song and you're like, oh, this is a cool lyrics. And then you get to be an adult and you're like, why did my parents ever let me listen to a song like that? Who knew what that meant? You know, because you didn't understand the meaning behind some lyrics. I think so many people here with these lyrics and the scripture as a whole can misunderstand what this actually means, that God is your keeper, that he's your protector. Because you're like, he hasn't protected me. I, everything in my life has been hard. Here's what I'm trying to say. This doesn't say this doesn't mean that literally he keeps you perfectly safe that you're that nothing's going to strike you like nothing's going to harm you. I mean, we see this with the psalmist even as this person writes it. In Psalm 23, what does the psalmist say? It says, "Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil." He didn't say I'm not going to go through the valley. I'm going to go around it. God's going to protect me from the valleys. He's going to protect me from the challenges. He's going to protect me from all the obstacles. He's just going to be like, hey, watch out for that. Hey, watch out for that. He's going to just like this perfect guide to guide me through life so that I don't miss and trip up. You know, here's death, cancer, tragedy, maybe relationships are lost. We think God wasn't looking out for us. Don't misunderstand this psalm. The point of this psalm is not to say, that if you love God, everything in life will go your way. That's a prosperity gospel, and it's a false gospel that says if you do this, God's going to bless your life. Now, everything in life may not go your way. You'll be, it's not that you're going to be fully protected. No, the Christian life isn't an easy life, actually. Actually, the opposite really is true. Uh, There's a good quote from Eugene Peterson. He put it this way, The Christian life is not a quiet escape or a fantasy trip to a heavenly city where we can compare gold medals with others. No, this life, just be honest for a second, this life's hard. It's difficult. But the promise of this psalm and the whole of Scripture is that for the believer, he provides. He does protect. He does comfort. And most of all, he is with you. Uh, Pilgrim's Progress, I don't know if you've ever read the book. I would encourage you to read it if you haven't read Pilgrim's Progress. But in Pilgrim's Progress, there's this character, his name's Christian. And he's in this, it's this story of this man, this, this young boy, really, on a journey from a, a, an ugly, sinful city. And he's on a journey, and he's carrying this huge burden on his back. And this burden was a picture of his sin. 
It's a picture of his sin, and he's carrying this sin, this, this weight, and it actually just keeps getting bigger and heavier and heavier, and he just can't go anymore. And eventually, he comes to the foot of the cross, and he lays down the burden at the cross, and he's set free from the power and the penalty of sin on his life. He's set free. But as you, if you read the book or if you've ever seen uh, some of the cartoon and different videos and movies of it, you'll notice this. When he, just gives, when he gives over that burden, when he puts, the picture being he puts his faith in Jesus and Jesus forgives him of his sin, it's not that all of a sudden his life just gets easy. It's not like he just goes straight to heaven and everything's great or, or God just blesses his life. No, the rest of his journey actually becomes really hard. He's tempted. He has a, a, a friend who actually dies uh, and, is, and is killed, uh, who is faithful. No, actually the difficulty and then the challenges were actually increased. His path wasn't easy and it never was meant to be easy. You see, for some of you, this might be the most difficult trial that you're going through right now, the lowest point of your life. For others of you, you've already experienced deep heartbreak and difficulty. And you're able to sing these words back to a weary traveler. Maybe you, for some of you, you've been through that trial and you're able to, at this point, be able to say, the Lord is your keeper. I promise you he's your keeper. I promise you he is a faithful companion. He is a protector and a provider. You can sing that. But some of you in the room, you're like, "Uh -uh, uh-uh, it's not my experience. I don't see this. And this is the point of the church. The church is a place to encourage, literally to give courage. I mean, that's what encourage means. It's to give courage. You're fearful. You're anxious. You're worried. You don't think that you can do this. You don't think you can follow God and give your life to him. The point is the church encourages you. This is so important for us to gather. Why it's important to gather? So that we can encourage each other, that we can communicate truth like this psalm into our hearts when maybe in the moment we don't really believe it. Here's what I want to encourage you with. Trust him through the valley. Scripture goes on to declare, he says this, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on him. Why? Because he trusts you. What I'm asking you to do and what Scripture is asking you to do is to trust God, that he is your keeper. None of us know the difficult life we'll experience, but what do we know is that he who keeps and protects all things never sleeps. He is always there for us through the trial and the storm. I love Romans 8 31, right? I think a lot of people love this verse. They quote it often because it says, if God is for us, what? Who can be against us? In that list, Paul goes on to list seven seven different difficulties that we can face in this world. Trial, tribulation, difficulty. He says none of those things in that list, and if you read it later in, in Romans 8, I encourage you to do it after verse 30. He says this, he says, none of those things can separate us from the love of Christ Jesus, our Lord. Jesus said these incredible words over 2,000 years ago that apply to every generation since. In John 16, he says, in this world, you will have trouble. Notice this, you'll have tribulation. He says, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Do you want to know why you can experience these realities or how you can experience these realities. I think I want you to see this picture as you think about this psalm in Psalm 121. Because when Jesus walked up on a hill all the way up to Calvary, you know what he did? He did it alone. He goes up to Calvary. His disciples have abandoned him. Here he is bearing his own cross and he's taken up to Calvary. He's nailed to a cross and to a tree. And you know what he says? 
says, Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? So when he looked up to the skies, he says, where's my help? Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? See, in that moment, the father had turned his back on the son. Why? So when he cried out to ask God to be there, in a sense, the father, my help, the helper, the one here that we're saying, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord. In that moment, when Jesus, the son of God, cries out, he says this. Why? Because he knew something about the father. The father had turned his back on him. Why? Why would the father ever turn his back? He's the keeper. He's the, he's the one who's the father, the fatherless. Surely to his own son, he would never reject him. Why would he reject him? Why would Jesus say, you have rejected me? Where, where are you? Why? Because he was taking on the sin of the world. And in that moment, Jesus took the wrath of God on himself so that as he took to the cross and was nailed between two criminals, as he's on that cross, the father turns his back on the son and the son gives up his life and he says these words, and I've said it several times since in the past several months, it is finished. You see, Jesus took that. Your payment for sin was paid on the cross on a hill called Calvary. 2,000 years ago, so that when you go through the trial, when you go through the difficulty, by faith, when you cry out to the hills, the Father doesn't turn his back on you. You deserve to be turned your back on. But because he turned his back on his son, he can look on you with love and grace and mercy because Jesus has paid the price for your sin and my sin, something that is so undeserving. Why would he ever forgive me? I'm a sinner. I mean, I've sinned this week. As I think about my week this week, I've lived selfishly. I've done different things that were not pleasing to God. But what is it? God looks on me actually with compassion and with grace and actually with love, undeserved love. Why? Because Christ is in my place because I've put my faith in Jesus. And so when Jesus cries out, you have forsaken me, here's the thing. We don't have to cry that out because Christ, God the Father, looks on you because he sees the Son dying in your place. This is what Colossians was really all about. It was being identified with him in his death, his burial, and resurrection life, united with Christ. And if you have been united with Christ, you can face any kind of difficulty. Look what he says. He says, the Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in. Notice this, from this time forth and forevermore, from your waking breath to your last breath on this earth, the Lord is your keeper. If you, if you can claim this psalm to be true of you, it is by faith. It is putting your trust in what Jesus has done for you. And so here's the thing. It doesn't mean, like I have said earlier, it doesn't mean God just keeps you from all the mistakes. No, he is with you through that. He is your protector of your soul so that when you're challenged with it and you're going like, I don't believe you, God. If you're a true believer, the Lord is protecting you from those thoughts. He's protecting you from denying him and running away from him. He's saying, you understand, even though you're like, I don't get it, I don't, this doesn't make any sense, God, why you've allowed such trials, such difficulty in my life. But here's, the, here's what the believer says. The believer says, I'm gonna trust you. 
I don't see you right now. I don't understand what's going on, but I trust you because you're trustworthy. And for some of you, you're like, but I, I hear you, Eric. I get it, but I don't, I don't, you don't, maybe you're saying in your heart, I don't understand. Listen, there's been times in my life and there's times even during the week, sometimes as a pastor, where I'm like, God, I don't understand. Like, why, why, why have you allowed this to happen? I don't get it. And sometimes, yes, when I, when I get forward in life and I look back, I'm like, oh, that makes sense. But hey, to be honest, there's times where I look back and I'm like, it still doesn't make sense, God. Like, it doesn't. 20 years later, it doesn't make sense. Are we going to be people who trust that God actually is a keeper, that he actually is a shade, that he is a protector? He's a, the, the description of Jesus is he's a good shepherd who knows his sheep by name. He comforts us in our affliction. He journeys with us. The idea here is the Lord is your shade on your right hand as you go forward. He's with you as you're journeying on. He's right beside you. The Lord is with you. But here's, I think, the greater challenge for us, I think, and I I mentioned this at the beginning, and I want to end with this, is what are you trying to carry on your own? What burden? What trial? sin struggle maybe it's depression and you're just trying to ride through this out on your own maybe it's a struggle with a a secret sin that you're like I don't know I can't I've been trying to beat it but I just can't or maybe there's conflict there's stuff going on and you're like we're just going to try to fix this ourselves because you know we're Americans we can fix things right we can do this on our own let, let the church sing these verses to you don't let just you say, you know what, I, I, I'm good. I mean, let that not be a, a pat answer for you. Let it not be a pat answer for me that I'm willing to open up. Maybe there's someone, a loved one, a friend who is a follower of Jesus who, was, who will walk with you through that journey. I hope that we as a church would be willing to do that, that we would carry one another's burdens, that we would be encouragers, that we would be prayer warriors for one another, that we would be able to not judge and look down on, but we would rather comfort and help and say, listen, let us help you as the church. Let me help you. You have a helper, the Lord, and he's gifted the church with the ability to help one another as well. Let the church help you. Don't do it on your own. Stop trying to do it on your own. Seek help. Here's what he says. I lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? And then the church proclaims, my help comes from the Lord, who's the maker of heaven and earth. He's the Lord. He keeps you. He's your guide. He's your shade. He's your protection. He will do this for all of eternity from this day forward forevermore. Listen, maybe for some, that's some of you. Stop trying to live this Christian life on your own and trying to, trying to f- defeat sin on your own. Man, for one, give it over to the Lord. Hand it over and say, God, in faith, I'm entrusting you with this. I don't know what else to do. I'm going to trust that you are my keeper. I'm going to put it before you. And I'm going to maybe open up a little bit with someone else. God, give me the strength. Give me the help to do that. Help me to share this load with someone else. And listen, as a church, I mean, don't bring judgment. Don't bring gossip. Bring love. Bring, bring help. Bring comfort. Bring words of, through Scripture. Giving them Scripture verses to look at and to ponder. Praying with them. Helping them. Come alongside. You're not meant to do this alone. We have a helper, and he is the Lord. 
And he's given the church to come alongside and to help one another too. And that's my encouragement from this passage from Psalm 121. It's an exciting journey that we'll take on through these few psalms uh, over the next coming weeks. But lift up your eyes to the hills. The Lord, the heaven, the, the maker of heaven and earth is on your side. Let me pray. Father, we love you. We thank you so much for your word. Thank you for these psalms that we can even sing. Here, we're going to sing a song right now, here in just a second, the goodness of God. I'm pretty confident some in this room are going like, I don't, I've never experienced God to be good to me. I pray that as a church, we'll be able to sing these kind of songs to one another's hearts as well. Not just we're singing to you, to you, the Lord, uh, singing these worship songs to you because we're worshiping you, but I pray that as we sing them, that we would be encouraging others around us to see that you are good, that you are kind, that you are gracious, that you are our keeper. And so when we're turning, we're saying, where is my help going to come from? I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm at my wit's end. I have nothing left. I pray that we won't just wait till we're literally completely desperate. But even if you allow us to go to completely desperate, I pray that we'll turn to you by faith and look to you as our help and our strength. So God, help us to turn to you and help us as a church to come alongside one another. Help us to be real, not hypocrites who walk in like we got it all together. Man, we're all messed up. I know I am. I pray that we will encourage one another. Give us, help give courage when there's lack of courage to one another. Help us to do that, God. Help us. We need your help. Help us to sing these songs to you. And even when we don't believe them, God, yet, I pray that as we sing them and as we look at your word and as we memorize scripture, as we study it and apply it, I pray that it would sink into our hearts to where we believe it to be true. You are good. And so we thank you. We love you, God. And we ask this, only, only able to ask this because of Christ. It's his name we pray. Amen.